BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hope or false hope for Iowa families in distress. Major flooding again. Americans of all parties should insist on something far better in the leader of their country. And why have we seen two Iowa Republican legislators leave their party because of President Trump, but we haven't seen a single Democrat join the Republicans because of the president? Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds faces those questions in this Price of Politics, etc. This establishes the program, it talks about eligibility, and it makes sure that every child, no matter where they live, have the same core services. So we did some things this year that buys us a little bit of time. That was Iowa's governor moments after she signed the Children's Mental Health Bill into law. Just a few feet away from her at that bill signing were more than a dozen people, and those included Mary Neubauer and her husband Larry. They both work full-time for the Iowa Lottery, but for the past 18 months, They've also worked almost full-time on spreading the urgency of just how bad Iowa's system is to treat mentally ill children. Unfortunately, they know this too well. Their son, Sergey, battled mental health illness for years. He had an awful life as a little boy in Russia before Mary and Larry eventually adopted him. Then later, as a teen, he had survivor's guilt and other mental health illnesses. His parents looked just about everywhere for help. They eventually found some out of state. They never could find that treatment in this state. They gave Sergey what he really needed. Sergey eventually took his own life at the age of 18. Before we hear from the governor, here's the story I did on Channel 13 with Sergey's mother several days after he died. That smile. Mary Neubauer marveled at little Sergei's smile. She knew this orphan in Russia should one day become her son in Iowa. We saw this one little boy, and he was just so gregarious, and he was taking care of all the other kids around him. But through the years, Sergei's smile would try to hide so much pain. Later, it became obvious that he had PTSD, depression, anxiety, and it was getting more severe as he was getting older. His parents frantically searched for help in Iowa and beyond, but how to help, where to find it? Those answers seemed impossible to find. Here in Iowa, in terms of long-term residential care, which is what Sergey did need if he was ever going to have a chance to get better, there just isn't any. Just days before his 19th birthday, unable to quiet the demons inside him, Sergey took his own life. Sergey's parents remain committed to him. That boy they first met in Russia who was so determined to help others, they think his legacy remains to keep helping others. They will not accept that smile to fade for any family. Is this what we're willing to accept here in Iowa? Is this the level of help that we think is okay? They had so many issues trying to find the care Sergey needed. They just couldn't find it anywhere in the state of Iowa. This new children's mental health law sets up a framework for a system focused on children's needs. There's a new 24-hour hotline families can call. 
and this law also sets up a new board to try to determine the path forward. However, it doesn't provide the money that advocates say is vital to really provide the help and hope for these families. So that is where we begin our conversation with Iowa's governor. What will this bill do and why does it not have money attached to it? Well, so what the bill does is, uh, and they were there and I was proud to have them there and referenced really their just, you know, they have been instrumental in helping us get this done. We've been talking about it for decades. So what the bill does is it establishes the children's mental health system. It um, acknowledges what the eligibility requirements are. And in addition to that, it also mandates core services. So part of the problem is there is already uh, a, a significant amount of money that goes into children's mental health. So there are dollars already flowing into the system, especially through Medicaid, but parents and teachers, they don't even know where to begin. They don't know how to access the services. Uh, there's a 24-7 hotline that's a part of this that will go a long way in just helping parents who are trying to get the services for their children, you know, on the right path. And so, you know, it's a process. So this is the structure with the oversight. This will allow us to see where the barriers are. A year ago when we signed comprehensive mental health care reform and they were there, I turned to them and I said, next year it's children's mental health. I am committed to getting this done. I turned to them yesterday and I said, Next year, I said over the interim, I am committed to making sure that we have a dedicated, you know, a revenue source to sustain this, these mental health systems going forward. And so I'll be working on that over the interim. But a lot of it has to do with really um, understanding how to find access to the additional, to, to the existing funding. But if they call the hotline, isn't, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of our struggles right now is that we don't have that sort of mid-range care for these kids, right? Well, you it, can get the em emergency, I need it right now mm -hmm, care, but mm -hmm. if you need more mid-range, we still don't have that though, right? And isn't that where we need the money? Well, but it starts to put it in place. And so if you still have to know what you need, where the barriers are at, and there are, there is funding in place. One of the things that I did um, was to ask for, and the legislature passed, revenue to buy down the wait list. So again, we have children that are waiting for the services. They need them now, but um, they, they were on a list. And so we put additional funding in to buy down the wait list for this year. So that will get the kids the services that they need while we are working um, to put in place the, the funding mechanism or to make sure, you know, we need to figure out where are the gaps and where, where what do we need to do to make sure that this is sustainable for the long run. Same things with the adults' mental health system. We did a couple of things this year to really help give us some time to, again, look at how we sustain and holistically fund both of these systems by um, increasing their carryover balance to 40% and then extending their buy-down, the buy-down requirements to 2023. And so for the for most of them, there are still some that, you know, are that have some issues that they're working through. Polk County is one of them, but there was some additional legislation passed to help them as well. Uh, one of the other things, one of the decisions you have to make is this bill that would ban Medicaid money toward when it goes for gender reassignment surgery. And these are, these are obviously very rare. Uh, in your mind, these surgeries, is that cosmetic or medically necessary? Well, what the provision says is that, that's in the, the legislation, says that the Civil Rights Act doesn't require governments to fund uh, gender reassignment and other similar surgical events. And this, is, uh, this has been uh, the state's position for years. In fact, it was defended all the way up to the Supreme Court. 
they ruled that the statute doesn't make it clear, and so the legislature came back and addressed that. But this has, in fact, been the state's position for years, and this just takes it back to where it was. But, but so then is it your contention then that this would be cosmetic and optional, so it would be the family's requirement then to you know, pay for it? it? The provision says that it doesn't require governments to fund um, gender reassignment and or sex reassignment and other similar surgeries. There are some provisions that would allow for medical, um, if it was medically necessary, so there is some options in there too. Uh, we're going to continue to take a look at this, but that's my understanding that the of the provision, and it is it's, and it is the it's been the state's position for years. Um, the attorney general defended that all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said based on the statute, they didn't think that it was constitutional. Legislature came back in and took it back to the way that it previously was by rule. So they just put it back the way that it was, and now I'm sure the Supreme Court will weigh in and decide whether it is or not, if if we move forward with that. Uh, one of the other decisions you have to make involves sports betting, so we're yeah. seeing a lot of these other states, and obviously we're not naive, this stuff happens, people are betting illegally yeah. on these things, so you could, you could bet legally um, on professional sports, colleges, etc. Just doing this, how do you balance? So, you know, we, we'll legalize it, we can maybe get some resources out of it, some uh, uh, revenue out of it, but do you agree this will likely make it easier for addicts? Well, I don't know. That's some of the things that we're taking a look at, and we're meeting with various groups. I've had both sides, I think I said that the other day to you, weigh in on this issue. Um, they are doing it, so this makes, us, makes it a way to have some oversight and to put some uh, requirements in that would monitor if people are abusing it, if they would limit their, their use or make it so they can't. Um, you know, so from that perspective, it's already happening. That's, it's not like we're adding, you know, but, but I understand the, the addiction side of it too, and that's something that I'm very concerned about as well. Uh, felon voting, that is something you made as a priority. Yep. Uh, you've talked about this a lot. You want this constitutional amendment so voters can, can weigh in on this. As you look at this now, you got the House to go along, but it was the Senate where this yep. thing got stuck. And obviously it can be a two-year deal here, so yep. since it's gone through the House, you could very you could work to get it done next legislative session and get that process going. As you sort of look in hindsight, do you think you had enough conversations with Senate Republicans to kind of ease their fears or to perhaps give them more carve-outs? So kind of the worst oh. of the worst criminals mm -hmm. would be spelled out here so that we would know that going forward. Yeah, uh, and that's what we're going to be working on over the interim, and uh, I think that we can get there. I feel, you know, I'm going to keep working on it. I, it's something that's really important to me. I believe in redemption and second chances. I believe that Iowans believe in that. But I do think also that there should be some carve-outs for certain um, uh, for certain elements. So, you know, I, I, we're at the same place and really in a past the House, I think 95 to 2, so the uh, significant support there, but the uh, remarks on the floor of the House, they also believe that the, probably there needs to be some exceptions in that. And so I think they thought that that would be able to be worked out in the Senate. It, we didn't get it done, but when we signed the employer liability shield, there were some exemptions in that. And I really think, Dave, that's a good place for us to start. Uh, so I'll sit down with the Senate over the interim and we'll hopefully find some common language uh, and, and get this passed, take that first step next year. Uh, Bernie Sanders doesn't think you should ever lose your right to vote. So if you're locked up in prison for whatever, whether you're the Boston Marathon bomber or anybody, you should be able to vote. 
Yeah, I completely disagree with that. I am all about second chances, but there are um, some instances where you they 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 shouldn't get the right their right to vote back. Uh, during this session, you watched Andy McKean of Anamosa switch parties. So yep. he got elected as he came back to office a couple cycles ago as a Republican. Now he's saying he's a Democrat. We watched David Johnson a couple of years ago do the same thing, although he went from Republican to independent. In both cases, they largely cite President Trump as the reason they have to leave the party. What do you make of that? Well, I focused on everything that we've been able to do in a bipartisan manner, and I think this has been another great session when it comes to that. Now, we're going to have our differences, but when you look at the three major pieces of legislation that I worked on, and just a whole host, again, some of them were unanimous, and a lot of them, most of them had bipartisan support. Even historic funding for K-12 education had bipartisan support for that. We just passed the SAVE bill, which school districts have been working on forever. We just passed a children's mental health system that they've been talking about for decades and we were able to bring both parties together and put Iowans and our children first. Future Ready Iowa passed unanimously last year and we came back together again this year to put the, the money behind the policy that we passed last year so we can help Iowans who are looking for a way up get the skills and get a job and help our economy continue to grow. Empower Rural Iowa passed unanimously, uh, or not unanimously, what with bipartisan, it might have passed unanimously, I'm not sure, but it was close if it didn't, so uh, tremendous support. And so I can go on and on and on, the employer liability field, uh, shield bill, that one also passed with great bipartisan support. So, you know, I, th I believe that races are local and I don't spend a lot of time talking about the dysfunction in Washington, D.C. I spend a lot of time talking about how Iowans do things differently, how we're able to come together and move the state forward and put Iowans first. And so that's what I'm focused on. But why have we seen two people leave your party because of your party's president? We haven't seen the opposite. We haven't seen any Democrats say, hey, I'm switching to Republican because of this president. Yeah, I don't know. I can't speak for him. I don't know why he did it. You know, he worked with me on a lot of these issues. I believe we're doing the right thing. Uh, I'm working hard every single day on behalf of, uh, you know, Iowans. And honestly, let me tell you, the largest tax cut in the history of our state was actually probably uh, got done because of the tax reform that happened at the federal level. And we're fighting every day to make sure that Iowans get to keep more of their hard-earned money to have, you know, an, a state that provides those opportunities. Um, you know, I don't believe in you know, I don't believe that everything is free. That's what we hear the other side talking about all the time. Free this, free that, free this. You know, that nothing is free. There's a cost to everything, and we all need to have some ownership in what we're doing. Government has a responsibility to take care of those people that can't take care of themselves. But what I found to be probably the most successful is a public-private partnership where you have business and industry, nonprofits, communities, and government working together to figure out a way to really help Iowans be successful and to keep our economy growing, and I think that's a winning uh, that's a winning scenario. As the governor, you're trying to get this state's economy to really go. Uh, uh -huh. We already have one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country. You see what's happening in the ag community. Uh -huh. Of course, now they're dealing with all this devastating yeah. flooding, but they're already dealing with low commodity prices. When you factor in this trade war, yeah. how much 
are our people suffering and how much longer can we go through this? We're already seeing some of them say it's tougher to get loans that they need yeah. and they can't make the bills work the way it is. Yep. So a couple of things that Congress can do again, stop playing politics. Let's get uh, USMCA ratified. That would provide a trade, trim, deal, a trade deal, the NAFTA 2.0, USMCA. Yeah, so I mean, Canada and Mexico are number one and two trading partners. That would provide so much certainty to not only the market, but to our farmers. And, I and think you saw how, Senator Grassley kind of yeah, yeah. hammer the president a little bit saying, yeah. hey, you're not getting that yeah. treaty until you get this trade war figured out. Are you on, you agree well, that's the way to go? So I think that's what the, the when they agreed to USMCA, I mean, the, the tariffs were in place to drive the talks and to drive the negotiations. So it seems to me it's a reasonable request to say, we've all agreed, let's get it ratified and let's move on from here. In the meantime, I think I do think Iowa farmers are in it for, uh, Secretary Purdue said this the other day, and I agree, in it for the long haul. They know that China's been a bad actor, um, you know, between technology transfer and intellectual property uh, theft of that. But but it, we need to get it done. So it's my understanding talks are moving. Uh, so hopefully we can get that wrapped up. That will help E15, will help our farmers. So I've been on the phone with Administrator Wheeler. It sounds like we're gonna get through the rulemaking process and make that available for uh, June. And then, you know, we need, there's opportunities for other trade agreements too, whether that's with Japan or uh, the um, EU. So let's keep, let's get these other things wrapped up and look for opportunities for new markets. I think Secretary Purdue is an Iowan by now. Is yeah, they know. He's, he's here a lot, right? No doubt Secretary Purdue has been to Iowa a lot. Vice President Mike Pence has also been here a few times, and the president's been back to the state. Definitely the Trump administration has given Iowa a lot of attention as this trade war drags on and the president looks ahead to re-election in 2020. Iowa was a place he won comfortably in 2016. In fact, he won 93 of the 99 counties. And that's The Price of Politics, etc.